Hello, everybody. It's The Backdrop, and I'm your host, Matt Considine. Today, we chat with Neil Schuster, a.k.a. Merch Czar, and one of the four co-founding members in the five-headed blogging monster known as No Lane Up. Join us as Neil recaps his Hickory Championship title through Sweetens Cove during this spring's Ringer, a biannual event hosted by Zach Blair and the Buck Club in early April. Neil also shares some lesser-known details about his new web series with co-star Big Randall called Strapped. We also touch on his decision to leave Google, plus his proclivity for urban area chippin' putts. I really enjoyed this chat with Neil, which highlights some of the really fun and creative ways to enjoy the game of golf. Remember to give us a shout on all social at New Club Golf, or shoot us an email with your suggestions and questions at membership at newclub.golf. As always, enjoy your game. Neil, welcome to the bag drop, my friend. Definitely. Thanks, Matt, for having me. I appreciate it. This is, uh, first off, let me say, it's it's not every day we have a true champion golfer on our podcast. Um, you know, you're fresh off the ringer, being the, the new Hickory champion of the ringer. Uh, how, how does that feel? It's, it's tough to, <laughs> it's tough to describe. I had never made it this far in my dreams. Um, no, it was, it was actually a huge shock to me. I thought playing with clubs from the 1930s. Um, or I guess modeled after clubs from the 1930s. I wouldn't fashion myself a ball striker, but I think they actually simplify my my game a little bit and my, help my tempo. So it definitely helped out with the big right miss that I've uh, I think become known for. Um, you know, around at least around the the uh, no laying up crew. So it was it was fun. It was it, I always like playing match play too because I have a tendency to um, you know light the scorecard on fire on usually like one or two holes and uh, you know. A, a nine and a or a, a three is only worth you know one point in match play, which is good for me. Yeah, that's that's the format to play, and and you are no stranger stranger to training for uh, athletic endeavors. What, were you training for the Hickory title? Is this something that you've had your eye on for a while? No, I I didn't even know we were doing it. Honestly, this was the first first time I've ever hit a Hickory club. Um, so I, you know, I was like, does, does somebody have some clubs for me? So luckily the Louisville golf guys were there. Um, and I, we were actually late that morning. And so I just was like, there was someone just like handed me a bag and actually big Randy and I played out of the same bag for the first round. Uh, and big Randy got absolutely boat raced by Jeremy from Louisville golf. So that he ran into a buzzsaw from the guy that actually made the clubs. So I don't know <laughs> if that was a fair fight. Um, but I was able to avoid that early, um, played uh a guy named kurt from vancouver who was he was good people um and that was the best part it was kind of the thing about the hickories it kind of slows the game down a little bit obviously you don't hit it as far um but the misses aren't as big either so it's kind of a nice um you know your swing slows down it almost feels like the walk slows down a little bit um you know i, I would say you know it's like going back in time but maybe a little bit and i, I kept saying to um Randy in the first match, I, I, it reminded me I played wood bat baseball in high school, just in a rec league, and and played you know metal bat rec league and little league growing up, and I just remember like hitting a wood bat flush like a double with a wood bat. There's like no better feeling in sports, and and squaring up one of these hickory uh, drivers had had a similar feeling. So that was like a little bit of a uh, an awakening for me. I, I I might think about getting a set. So prior to this title, you had not hit the hickories? No, I'd never hit a hickory. Wow. Um, 
in my life. So I just kind of, I think I, I actually thought about it in the first tee. I was like, I, I might as well just shorten my swing up a little bit and, you know, kind of just try to square the, the ball up. And you know, I didn't, I wouldn't say I hit it particularly well early, but then I played, I think I played five or six matches through the, like it was like a bracket, you know? Um, and I'd say by the, the third match, the second match, I almost lost the third one though. I started to get a real feel for, um, how they were playing. And then I actually, I got, I was able to get the long drive, um, title as well, but the Hickory long drive, I beat out, uh, Joe's Wickle, who I think won it last year. He hit it 284. I hit it 285. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, um, pimp that title as well. Oh yeah. You got to, man. That's, uh, that's impressive. I, I'm actually envisioning, you know, there's a guy sitting on the side there with his knickers and he's got his like antique hickories that he's been polishing up, just gearing up for this title. And then Neil Schuster walks in, never hitting a hickory before and just wipes the table, takes everything, <laughs> just devastates the guy. It's unfortunate, but I think there was a guy that wasn't even playing in the rest of the ringer. He was just there for the hickories. I didn't, I didn't beat him, but I think either DJ or somebody else did. And, uh, or maybe, I don't know, somebody else that I was playing against and they felt pretty bad about it. Cause he was just like, yeah, yeah I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just here for the hickory thing. I don't know if he had the knickers on, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure that was a disappointment. I'm, and, and, uh, my condolences to that guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I haven't got fully all the way back into the, the hickories. I've thrown a persimmon in the bag and, you know, kind of 1980s style, uh, set that I, I kind of enjoy playing on shorter courses and whatnot. But, um, th- I got to play with that Tad Moore guy. I think he was there. Did yeah, you get he was, him? he was, I didn't meet him, but he was playing a couple groups ahead of me. Um, so, and I think he's a, he's the club designer. Yeah. 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 He, he's, he worked for a lot of the big brands, uh, back in the day, but now he's making all hickory clubs and he let me hit his driver, which was, uh, I could tell that the hickories I've hit before that weren't the same thing. Like he, this is a well-made hickory yeah. club and it felt like you're saying about that wood bat hitting the double up the middle. Like it, it had that, you know, just tuning fork that you could feel it throughout your body. And it's like, Oh wow, that was, that was different. Yeah, definitely. I, I, but honestly for me, I wouldn't say I, I hit him that well. I just, again, I just didn't, you don't miss that big, you know, like I have this big, big, right slice miss sometimes with um you know the modern clubs uh and i hit the ball pretty far so it's you know on a good day it's a it's a it's an asset i guess for my game but it really can just like there's a there's a high ceiling maybe for me but there's an there's a basement you know what i mean yeah there, like like it's off the planet like i can't keep the ball in place sometimes and so this kind of minimized that a little bit for me um and then it was only a i think it was like a six or eight club bag which um you know, DJ and, and Randy are big fans of, of talking up the, you know, the dog set, kind of simplifying the decision making. I had a seven iron. I had this niblick thing, which I hit, you know, could hit to about 110, 100 to 110. And then the seven iron was kind of like 110 to one, I'd say 160, 170. And then it was a five iron. I didn't hit the three iron much. And then there was a, uh, like a fairway wood, I think it was called a clique, which I, you know, I like the names too. That, yeah. That also... Then- Names which, are great. Uh, gave me a chuckle a couple times, and I was like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna mash a cleek here." Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, kind of simplifying things, and then actually the the niblick was great because when I was a kid, or I guess in high school, I played growing up. I played junior golf, and then I didn't really play in high school much or college. 
but when I did go out, you know, go home and play or whatever, I had this kind of ragtag set of like, I had Tommy armor, like 845 irons, the old schools. And then I had, uh, I had this Ram 55 degree wedge and it was basically the only wedge I had in the bag. And I, you know, I basically hit the grooves off it. So I couldn't use, I couldn't use it anymore. I probably still would, but I just kind of, it was like a wand for me. I just kind of knew how to, how the ball was going to come off the face. And, uh, this niblick reminded me of that. It was like kind of rounded, you know, it looked like, um, almost like a spoon, you know, and it just yeah. like, it, it, you know, I hit it enough throughout the, the day. And then DJ and I played the match, uh, the final match on the next morning that I just felt like, okay, I know, I know what this thing's going to do at this point. Um, and I'm not choosing between a 60 degree, a 56, a 52, like, you know, it, it just kind of simplifies like, all right, well, I only have one choice here. So I, let's keep this really simple. Um, yeah. and, th- and that definitely helped out throughout the round too. Yeah. How did, uh, so the final, it was an all no laying up final. How did, uh, your boy DJ take the loss? So, you know, it was a battle. He had me on the ropes, uh, through the first four, he was like unconscious. So I, you, uh, well, first off I teed off cause we were kind of late again after a breaking bread at waffle house, which was delightful. Um, we both tee off kind of, you know, skanky drive. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I'm way out here. Like I was in the fairway and even though I had no chance at getting home, uh, for in two, I decided to hit driver off the deck and, you know, promptly put that out of play. So he wins the first hole. We, we, uh, I think we, I might've won the second. He's one up through three and then just puts one in really close on four. So, um, but I think I made a putt anyway, we get to, to five, which is a drivable par four. He hits one to about 12 feet from, I think, 240. Um, so he's putting for eagle. And then I'm, you know, in a bad way. But then I ended up rolling in a like a 40-footer downhill, um, which I think was the turning point because then he two-putted for birdie. So we have the hole, and then he kind of put it in the water on six, and that was kind of the end of it, the momentum. And the snowball had rolled back down his side of the hill, and he couldn't stop it. <laughs> um, not that anybody really wants a play-by-play of the Hickory matches, but uh, oh come on, that's what yeah, like I, I think I beat him on eight, and you know, he, you know, gracious winner as always, Mister Mister Piehowski, the the pie man. Um, yeah, so it was fun. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, you know the couple guys that that got the chance that I know that are members of of New Club that played in the Ringer this past weekend. Um, they spoke favorably about your golf game. You know, you've already kind of said some things about the big miss. They were they were saying. I think the word that they used multiple times was uh, Pandora's box. Uh, so my, my question for you is, when, when is this box going to open? Are we going to see you on any mid-amp circuits coming up? <laughs> What's next? Well, you know, I'm playing more golf now. I, I was, uh, I had, I guess you could call it like a, a, a real job uh, for a while. I was working at Google. I left in February, so I'm focused on NLU full-time. And I think a big reason I played well this weekend, and I, I played poorly on the trips we've already we've done this year. The, the other golf is I've been spending a lot of time at the Flushing Meadow Pitch and Putt here in New York City. It's out by the Met Stadium. Yeah. So any listeners in the New York area, it is a hidden gem. It's a it's a you know it's a goat track. But you basically it's 18 holes and you just hit like 60 and 70 yard shots, 40 yard shots the whole time. So I've gone out there three times the past month. Um, in the morning, no one's out there. And if there is anyone out there, it's like retired NYPD and like people on their third date, you know, kind of like doing some type <laughs> of activity. 
Uh, they have yeah. lights, so people are playing late. It's it's like a really good vibe out there. And I'll play you know two or three balls. And what I'll do is I'll just take one time I took the fifty six degree, one time I just took the sixty degree, um, and then I guess twice I took the fifty six. But next time I might take like a fifty two. And so then I like kind of like with the niblick, I just try to force myself to hit the same club from different distances um just to try to get a feel for like almost um what i was trying to do initially was uh, we took a california trip and i just was lost from like 80 i didn't know how far any of these wedges were going to go um and then then you know you're trying all these different swings and i'm i'm duffing the ball you know i'm i'm uh hitting it thin because I'm, I'm there's no tempo so just trying to simplify it and hit the same club because if I'm really the the way my game works is if I'm hitting the driver well, like I'm gonna have eighty to one twenty in usually, and at least you know on a, a, let's say a par four, and I was just like I couldn't get the ball within like twenty feet with a wedge, which is like yeah, makes it's discouraging. Makes, it's and then discouraging. Me, a, That's like you know, the, yeah, the most I'm frustrating a thing, you know. So I can't. You know, then I get all mad at myself and like, you know, I put it okay. Um, so I'm just I was thinking about it this this winter. I was like what is the one kind of like the Google thinking, like 10 X thinking, right? Like what's the one thing I could do to make the biggest impact on my game in like the shortest period of time. And it's like definitely the wedge. It's probably like the other than the putter and the driver, the club I use the most. Um, and if I'm, especially if I'm playing well. Um, so, and, and I honestly, I think it's, it's helped out even those like three or four times I've gone out there. Um, Cause I just hit, God, I hit a lot, a lot better approach shots, find, you know, like not airmailing the green, um, give myself more birdie putts, uh, yeah. which is like, like and it, I think, um, Solly's talked to that guy, Mark Brody on the no laying up podcast, which I found fascinating how he said, like, you know, you watch the telecast and guys are all you see are guys running in like 25 footers. But if you go follow a group, which when I, if I go to a pro tournament, I like to, you know, spend like a day, like I'll try to pick a group and go follow them for nine or 18 holes, especially someone that's not in the lead. And, like it, they're not making that many long putts. They're lag putting well, but they're also like putting themselves in this like 15 foot zone from like 150 and in. And so they're getting tons of looks at makeable putts. And that's not something you realize. So I feel like the proximity to the whole stat, I never realized how important that was. So I was trying to put that into practice a little bit. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, you know, because if you're on the telecast, we're all watching the guys at the top of the leaderboard. And of course, they're, you know, rolling in putts because they're, putting better than anybody else that week but yeah you know, more more of the guys at the back you do you do see that that's a key to their game right and uh actually we had a, a college golf coach was on the podcast last week and uh of depaul here in chicago and there's this similar goat track called sydney maravitz uh right on lakeshore drive you know in the city it's you know college golf team the, the university's down here he said he takes those guys over there all the time and i'm like really if college golfers you know practicing at a course like that he goes i don't care i get a wedge in everybody's hand and i tell them to you know work on 80 yards to 120 on every single hole yeah and i it made me think a little bit about like our our society members and how you know we a lot of people just end up going and pounding drivers at the driving range or whatever but uh but yeah finding a little pitch and putt or whatever can be one of the best things for your golf game yeah, and I, you know, I love hitting the driver just as much as everybody else. Um, but I, I do think some of like the most fun is when you play approach shots from the middle of the fairway. Like it's like darts, right? Like it's yeah. just a really good feeling if you feel like you're dialed, um, you know, from from one twenty, one fifty, and in. Um, and I also think like you bring up a good point there. Like 
having these city courses, um, I mean, for golf in general, this might be a little too macro, but I just like, I think that would make the game more accessible. Um, like I'm always going to want to play like a championship track or play, you know, kind of like, I guess, real or whatever you want to call it, 18 holes. But like I have, it's an hour and a half out at Flushing Meadow. It takes me like 20 minutes to get there. And then, you know, it doesn't take up my whole day. So I can go out there, be the first guy out at 9 a.m. and be back, you know, doing some work by like 1130 or noon. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like a little bit of a, like a, a workout or a walk in the park for that day. And it makes it like more sustainable. Like, cause in New York, you try to go play on a weekend here and it's, you know, you're battling traffic. You got to go an hour, probably 45 minutes, depending on, you know, who you know or where you're going. And then, you know, you're out there for four or five hours at least. And then it's another hour back. So it turns into like a seven hour day, Yeah, which can just, it can be very discouraging if, if you go out, play crappy, you know, it's like, ah, oh, man, and I, you know, I just spent money on that. Like that was that I don't want to, you know, that's, that would be very discouraging. I know it is for some of my friends that I, I try to take out and play golf with that aren't necessarily golfers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point, man. It's like, when you're going to play a great course and and you know spending the dough, that that's one thing and that's great. But these these pitching pots, these places that are a little bit closer, you know, you can get in once twice a week. It makes the times that you go to the you know championship spots and the really good traditional old courses, you know, it makes it just that much more enjoyable. Yeah, and and, and to that point, like so, I could go, I used to work over by Chelsea Piers with the driving range. Like I, one hundred times out of a hundred, I would rather go to the pitch and putt, Flushing Meadow, and hit these do wedges and and roll some putts on the shaggy greens, than go hit loaded balls, you know, in a fenced in range off yeah. mats. Right? It's like, right. and what's better for my game? Definitely the wedge stuff. So it's like a win win in my mind. Um, I just don't think anybody knows about it. Number one, not that I really want anybody to know about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the vibe be... out there is so good. Actually, I I tweeted something at um, actually at Rob Collins, the uh, Sweetens designer, b- uh, last week. I was like, you know, if I hit if I won the lottery, I was talking to my you know we had talking to my buddies like, what would you do with it, you know? And I was like, I would I would buy that place, and then I would like write him like a blank check or like a designer that thinks a little bit differently, do whatever you want, and then like but like then pay off the city and tell them to tell all the people like, Oh, it's a sewer problem. Or like, this is a super site, like it's contaminated area and then <laughs> reopen it. And like, don't tell anybody like, don't, you know, no, no publicity, like pay people to write bad reviews so that the vibe stays exactly the same, lower the price a couple bucks. And then just like, yeah, just like not tell anybody, I guess I'm defeating it by telling you this on a podcast. But yeah. Like, yeah. You're ruining you know your dream. I mean? Like you're ruining your dream. It's, it's like, God, it's so good. It's almost like it's a, a the best kept secret. I think with the, uh, not only with like practice, but just with golf around here. I, I, I think it's bound to happen too. Like there's this movement going on and guys like yourselves and so many others are talking about it. You know, Andy Johnson's a Chicago guy. He's picked out a couple places here. I mean, it's the, the, these sites, they could get so much more action with, with people that want what you're talking about. It's, yeah. it's just a matter of time and, and of course money. So you know, once you do hit that lottery, if you need somebody to come scope it out with you, just let me know. Happy to help. <laughs> For sure. I appreciate of, that. Yeah, no problem. So speaking of, uh, uh, you know, hitting the lottery and making millions, I, I didn't know you left Google. So how did Uncle uh, Sergey and, and La- Uncle Larry take the news? Uh, Uncle, you know, we had a sit down. They flew me out to Mountain View 
you know, flew me to Moffat Airfield that Google owns. And, uh, you know, they, you know, they tried to make me an offer that I couldn't refuse, but no, just kidding. Uh, no, it was, it was great. I, I've been there about two and a half years and my goal in going to Google was to learn as much as possible about kind of how the internet works, which is, I think what Google kind of is, it, it kind of powers things behind the scenes in a lot of ways it, you know, there's a, there's some, a lot of bad press about Google, but overall, like the product people, you know, why do you, why do you go to Google search? Cause like a hundred times out of a hundred, you get exactly what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So the search engine is just a really powerful tool for basically everybody. Um, and then, you know, the ads, so I was building ad AdWords campaigns for, um, new businesses new to Google, which there aren't a ton of those, but there's still some pretty big holdouts out there, like big, bigger CPG companies and, and like new direct to consumer brands. So my team would kind of, you know, offer some resources if they were going to make a big investment to try to move their, you know, advertising dollars to, to digital. And, you know, the AdWords stuff, the YouTube stuff is almost, I, I came to realize like a tax on the internet a little bit. It's like, you know, it's free, but you're going to have to watch this video before you watch strapped on, you know, no laying ups YouTube channel. Like that's just kind of the deal that everybody struck. That's kind of how it works now. Yeah. Um, but with that, I like, I learned a ton about, you know, wh- like how do you get web e-commerce conversions? Cause I, I run the shop with, um, my brother Tron. Um, so I learned a ton about that, a ton about how it's not really about the first sale. It's about lifetime value. It's about, can you capture emails? Cause newsletters, email newsletters are still the workhorse. Like really, you know, people thought they'd come to us and be like, this is magic. You know, you guys are Google. You'll just like create, you know, basically revenue for us. But it's like, no, it's like, honestly, it's more about how fast your site loads and I can't do anything about that. So mm-hmm. Google in a way, like a lot of people that work there on the ad side, it's, it reminded me a lot more of a consulting company, even though, you know, technically it was, it was kind of a sales team and I was on the sales team and then I was on the account side building the accounts for about a year, year and a half. Um, and just with where NLU's at, um, I, I just felt like starting the year fresh kind of was, was a, uh, it was kind of time to, to make the move. Cause I'd, I'd kind of been saying since I got there, like, I, you know, I want to try to, um, run a business with my brother and my friends and, and I've always wanted to, to do that. So, you know, even if this blows up in our face, like, I think I'm going to learn a lot from it. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And it's great. I think the, uh, so far so good, you know, once you, it's a big decision to leave and everybody at Google's like my boss and my boss's boss, they were all really, really cool about it. Um, and really kind of happy. Cause I, I wasn't like I was, Google's really good about letting you do stuff on the side. You know, they always had the 20% project stuff, but also, um, I think all the NLU stuff was helping me do that job better just cause I was looking at it as a business owner and, and kind of understanding like how a Shopify site runs. And that's what a lot of people are running on. Um, so I feel like I picked up a lot of good knowledge that I can help out with, uh, the rest of the squad. So full steam ahead on that. That's awesome, man. Congrats. I, I didn't know it. And, uh, that makes you the final, uh, full timer now, right? Of that's co- right. Of count- so it's, co-founders. it's, uh, it's the, the four of us founders and then our, uh, our fifth man, the, the pie man, Mr. Non-Repeating, or the consigliere, as I like to call him. <laughs> the Tom and... and uh, exactly, Tom and, Hagen. You know, yeah, Tom sorry, Hagen, guys, oh. can't do it. Come on, Sonny, you need to chill out, huh? <laughs> uh, so that's DJ for You're us. You're killing uh, your mother, Michael. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, no, but it's going really well. I think those guys are in Jack's, uh, Jacksonville. That's where kind of NLUHQ is. And then I am here in New York City. Um, and I will be for definitely for the rest of the year. I think it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff to be done up here. I think, uh, 
you know, most of everything we do is online. And then honestly, when we go on these trips, a lot of times those guys have to fly through here anyway. So it makes it, yeah. uh, the travel even a little bit easier, uh, to get places from here. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy living in the big city still. Yeah. And you got to get that wet game honed in at Flushing Meadows before. Exactly. You know, you get but out those, to... Listen, those guys have Jack's Beach Golf Club, which they just redid down there, which is another one of these, you know, public golf, like kind of a good example of, I think, and they could speak more to it than me, but like a Muni, like somebody went in and, and did it right. And it didn't cost as much as everybody says it has to cost, you know, public private partnership kind of deal. Um, and like, that's the kind of thing that NLU wants to put its, not its name behind, but happy to call that like the home club, right? Like when you looked at the ringer, you know, attendee list, I guess last weekend, it was like, you know, my, my home club is flushing metal pitch and putt, but like those guys said, Jack's beach, which, um, is great. Cause I, I think we're like, not to use the jargon, but like everybody starts about talking about growing the game. Well, like, you know, you kind of got to practice what you preach. And I think that's the kind of place that's actually trying to do that. Every time I've been out there, they've got like 200 junior golfers doing clinics with volunteers. It's like, that's, that's kind of what you want to see, especially when the course is just as much fun for us who are diehard golfers as it is for, you know, people that don't play that often or, or kids that are new to the game. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man. I mean, th- this community golf is kind of the, the way I like to call it. And it, there's no stopping it in my eyes. And I just think more places like that. Uh, and when you guys are in town, I, I, I talked to Tron about, uh, I think you guys are coming in for the BMW. You know, we'd love to show you Chica- in Chicago. We play out at Canal Shores, which yeah. is this 100 year old, um, you know, just <laughs> old used to be cow pasture that they've really put in a lot of tender love and care into and now it's it's really interesting it's doing everything that kind of you're talking about with accessibility and and when you play it it's it's not easy it's actually pretty tough now because they're putting you know little quirky things in the the green contours so uh that's the place that we'd love to to you know share with you guys when you're in town because it's and it's just fun it's just that welcoming environment these community golf courses just uh they, they need the support and uh and i think they're here to stay yeah and the other thing with like, and, and that's, like, I love playing private golf just as much as the next guy. Like, it's awesome to play a championship track, but I get a little frustrated with like almost like the lack of originality in golf sometimes or like the lack of like creativity. It's like, why yeah. does everybody just want to be like Augusta? You know what I mean? Or like, or these courses that were designed years ago, you know, or like the kind of country club or like, I guess, like the 90s um gated community developments right like i feel like i played that course growing like that type of course growing up in atlanta a ton and you just see them all over the country and it's like i i'm i'm like you i'm excited about kind of a little bit of an awakening where people are like wait a second it doesn't have to be like that like the game of golf is not always stroke play it doesn't have to be all about like if you didn't play on a seven thousand yard course and shoot par like you're not playing golf you know, that's that getting rid of that mindset, I think, is probably the biggest hurdle, um, you know, for this, like what you're saying, like the community aspects of, of the game of golf right now. Yeah, no, it's gonna it's happening, too. And I think architects are, are starting to help help that as well, where, you know, it used to be whether it was Tom Bendelow, uh, the, the Johnny Appleseed of, <laughs> yeah. of golf course architecture. I know. What, what, what did Randy uh, say he thought you were the Johnny Appleseed of on the, uh, the latest <laughs> episode of Straft? Oh, man. Uh, well, this is a deep cut inside joke, but 
I'm uh, <laughs> so what, whenever I okay, I don't know. I guess I gotta explain this right. So my buddies and I are immature, always have been, and whenever like I guess this happened in college after college, like we'd hear a, a song and we'd have this game where like you'd have to creatively and like I guess like insert the word schwanz into the song. Don't ask me why, but like just the word schwanz made us laugh a lot. So it, it's we call it the schwanz game where like a song comes <laughs> on the radio and you just have to like find a way to do it. And it's and I know like how immature and stupid that sounds, but like, you know, DJ and, and Randy and I and all have kind of the same dumb sense of humor. So like, you know, we're on these long car rides going to these courses for strapped and driving between them. And so like, you know, we're listening to the radio and what happens is like, you'll get one and it'll make everybody kind of giggle and laugh. And then, you know, the radio changes over and then everybody will go like dead silent, you know, kind of looking for like, how am I going to do it? How, like, what part of the chorus, what part of the verse can I get this, this, you know, this Schwanz placement into? And so then it becomes like this race to see who can do it the most creatively. <laughs> so that's the game. And, you know, I said I wanted to be the Johnny Appleseed of something. And I think Randy, you know, said rightly that, that maybe I already am. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, uh, hey, that, that's, that's that. that. <laughs> it's more creative. I, I'll say this. It's any kid that grew up in the nineties that didn't play or told you that they didn't play the penis game is lying to you. It, it is. Maybe it is a modern rendition of the penis game. It's, so. it's, it's definitely a more creative element of it. I mean, that's a tougher word one to fit into lyrics and, uh, it just sounds funny, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I, I I agree. So so there you have it. At least well, uh, at least you're seeing where I'm coming from. Right. Um, so we're jumping around a little bit, but why don't we talk a little bit about Strapped? I mean, I personally think this is uh, the best thing on the internet right now. Maybe the best thing for golf because we're talking a lot about, and it kind of flows with the community golf conversation we were having. But for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about the the show uh, and what it's all about. Yeah. So it uh, was kind of I guess it's DJ and Randy came up with the concept last June, July, I think when they were in, in Scotland with tour sauce season two. And unfortunately uncle Larry and uncle Sergey needed me. Um, we had the, some fires put out at Google, so I was not able to go on that, that tour sauce season, um, which was a bummer. And we were supposed to, I think we were thinking about doing another one of those pretty quickly afterwards. And, um, it kind of fell through. And so I was kind of bummed cause I, I had said like, I'm not going to go to Scotland, but like, I'm, you know, I got this kind of week reserved in August. And so they were like, we can't do that, but like, we want to run an idea by you. And basically we have this message board called the refuge, um, at no laying up. Um, and on the refuge, like we were taking, I don't want to say heat, but like, it's really good to kind of get that feedback from, you know, it's, it's probably like the, I guess the core NLU community in there. Right. And so like you get a lot of feedback on like what people like and what they don't like. Cause they start these threads. And one of them was like, God, this content's great, but I'm never going to play these courses, you know, like Solly and Tron, especially cause they were the first to go full time. We're getting a lot of invites to go places, um, say like shore acres or Chicago in your neck of the woods. Right. And people are like, this is great. I love seeing these courses. Um, you know, when those places even let you take pictures, but like, this isn't very relatable. You know, so like, upon hearing that and like knowing that like I'm I don't I, I don't want to say I don't feel comfortable in those places, but sometimes I feel like I'm going to break some unwritten rule. Like I've always been kind of into like, let's just go play golf somewhere easy. Um, so those guys, we got on the phone and they were like, we have this idea. We want to kind of go play public golf. And like they were like, let's pick the most random place we can think of, which 
ended up being Des Moines, basically Iowa, and then Des Moines from there because they went like, all right, let's try to find like the best or most interesting looking public courses we can just by you know Google searches, like kind of doing a little bit of research. And so we settled on Des Moines, um, and they kind of set everything up because I was still you know I was pretty busy at work, and so I was like, you guys tell me when I'll be there. So we planned this week where I was supposed to go anyway, and then kind of you know DJ kind of being the <laughs> The uh, producer, we all kind of got on the phone and, and he was like, well, you know what we should do is make like Tron and Solly like the C-suite, like the guys that are like, um, you know, we, we you know, kind of like they play this basically this act where they're like, we, you know, nobody likes public golf more than us. It's just not really our thing. But you know what, Randy and Neil, like we'll, we'll carve out $500 for you guys to to take this trip. Um, and that was kind of the point is like we felt like there needed to be some type of stakes to it, I guess, or like something some type of narrative early especially for the first one before we kind of understood what it was all about and so so it, and also gives us a little bit of a template which helps with any of these like recurring i guess content ideas you're trying to do um because then it it, it lessens the load on like the editing and, and you can plan out an itinerary a little bit better and and i you know kind of like the idea of going on an adventure on the cheap so i'm you know i was like guys i'm in whatever um, and so that's kind of how it started. Um, and then I think what we've, we've found is it's almost like become less about, uh, I don't want to say less about golf, but golf's almost like a vehicle for it, for us to go and like, kind of just be curious and go hopefully meet some cool people. Um, and, and, you know, the key is like, now that it's become a little bit more, I guess, um, publicized or like, you know, this is the, the third season we're doing Louisiana, we're, we're still trying to be very careful to like not plan things ahead too much. Like, but we're also very cognizant of like anytime we've had like cool people like this guy, Ben, uh, that we met in Baton Rouge or, um, you know, the Airbnb lady Janice in, in the Northeast, those, those, you know, she was kind of by chance, but we're like, you know, if we didn't find her, like we, that show wouldn't be as good. Right. Cause we're not good. We're not that good at golfers. So like, and I don't really know if anybody really wants us to watch us play like every shot in 18 whole round. So we're trying to make sure that like we can create some type of stakes around, like there's a money round, there's like a mega bonus, like some of these things for me too. Like I said to DJ and Randy, like I'm a pretty goal oriented guy. Like that helps keep me focused on something. So like, we don't have any money to have like too much downside or like there is downside and there's stakes in the fact that like we could end up sleeping in the car, but there's also like this thing, like, what if we can go, what if we do this? Like, what if this happens? Like, you know, and then you start to care about something that like <laughs> really doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like we just <laughs> right. made it up. Like, uh, I, I was going to so, say that those are the two pieces I've enjoyed most about it. I think is that there are stakes on the line. You know that you guys are playing for something. That money round is is always you can feel the it's palpable, uh, the tension in some shots when you're down to one ball. But uh, the other is the people. You guys keep running into just like genuine, interesting people. And uh, like that guy Ben you mentioned on the most recent one in Baton Rouge. Uh, I mean, the guy had a round the round of his life. Yeah, with, he did. And, and he did, did he? Did you did you guys tell him that like, hey, about forty thousand people are gonna see this? In the next well, I think he kind of <laughs> knew. He had reached out randomly. To us with this watercolor painting that he did of us walking up the fairway at Vinker. And like that's the kind of stuff that like for with this with just NLU in general is like the best part of it. It's like, you know, when you put something out in the world and people like it, whether it's writing or video or like a tweet, like that's kind of the that's the reason any of these social networks do well, right? It's like 
in some on the bad end of the spectrum it can be addicting right and people are like all caught up in the feedback and the engagement on the good side it's like wow like that made an impact on somebody like that makes me feel good that's that's kind of makes it worthwhile and originally i said to randy and dj like i don't do it. Is anybody gonna care like we're gonna play like you know what a lot of people would deem like crappy courses in a random part of the, of the country like he's like yeah but like what if it only matters to, like a hundred guys in iowa then guess what we have a hundred more diehard nlu fans and i was like you know what i'm sold like that that's great and like when people even like to take it a step further like people, i've had people reach out to me like how'd you start nlu or like how do you guys grow it you know and a lot of it like majority of it's probably luck timing all that good stuff right but i think what we did well was one one we had four of us so it had for the first year nobody read anything nobody cared right but we would make the each other chuckle and pick up the slack for each other and like write things as a group and and it, it, at least it mattered to us right and like that that is a huge factor i think if you can set your mind on like i want a hundred people to care like that's my goal. Like then, you know, if you get to a thousand, they some, you know, some of these like thought leaders say like, well, now you've got a niche, you know, now you can do something with that. Um, but like, I'll, I'll tell you what, if it's 10 or a hundred, it's still worthwhile. Um, because like, then you get a guy that what, you know, paints a watercolor picture, sends it to us. And he kind of said like, yeah, you know, I live in Baton Rouge and we'd already had, the, we had this trip on the counter. We're like, Hey, by the way, like we're, we're coming to Baton Rouge. Would you like to play around with us? And then, of course, Ben being like the nicest guy in the world was like, well, you can stay with me. You can do this. I'll, you know, this and that. We're like, no, we can't do any of that. But <laughs> thank you. If you, you want to meet uh, us literally I at would... four, you know, like 3 p.m. at this city park historic course, like we'll be there and like no pressure. And it was kind of like he was just standing there in the parking lot when we pulled up. And that was the first time really any of us had talked to him. We exchanged emails, um, you know, and then it's like, all right, let's go play. Let's go play golf, which is the best part, because then the other thing is we're walking to. One of the things I love about golf is um, when you're meeting new people, I think it's such a good venue for that because everybody basically comes together like once, like basically 18 times, like once every hole on the tee box. Otherwise, you know, if you're like, don't like somebody, you can kind of walk on the other side of the fairway, you know, yeah, you got to interact with them a little bit on the green, but there's always like a distraction there. Um, and then, you know, it allows people like over the first three or four holes to get used to each other and something happens, someone makes a putt. And then it's just like, it, it kind of, it just feels so much more natural to meet people in that setting outside in, in a spacious environment when you're walking. And I think the fact that a lot of times we play these courses on like Tuesdays and Wednesdays when there's no one there also adds to that, um, and allowing people to kind of be comfortable and, um, and, uh, kind of be themselves, which I think has shown through in, um, in, in strapped specifically. Yeah. That I, I haven't heard it described that way of like, uh, the benefits of walking in terms of meeting new people and, and having that ability, uh, to, to, you know, either walk with somebody if you're in, you know, maybe that whole year you're just talkative and you want to have a conversation, but if you don't, you don't need to, that's, that's really interesting to me. Cause I, we're big proponents for walking. And I think that's just another of like the hundred reasons that people should walk a little bit more on the golf course. Yeah, I noticed it at the ringer last weekend too. It's like this, you know, big group of people and you know, I kinda I was talking to Randy about it too. He's like Randy's pretty introverted and and you know, I, I, I can be I guess extroverted probably is what it looks like, but also like I get kind of exhausted in big groups sometimes. And so like what I loved about that was you could kinda walk with people when you wanted to and like, you know, get to know somebody for a couple holes and then kinda take a break or 
And, and sometimes even when you have carts, like that becomes difficult because you always got to sit down with somebody and there's always the, almost the laziness of you to go sit in the cart. Right. And then because yeah. I'm, I have to do that, then now I have to talk to somebody or force something when, you know, when you're walking, you can kind of like, Oh, you know what? I actually want to ask this guy about something or I, I do want to go start a conversation so I can like have the freedom to come and go as I please. Um, yeah. It's just kind of like, it's kind of subtle, but I think it makes a big difference. Well, and, and instead of meeting somebody, you know, if you're at a bar or getting a cup of coffee, you, you have that focus of the game. You know, you're actually playing yes. the game and everybody has that outlet of, of uh, you, you can always just focus in on your game and nobody's going to fault you for that. Right. So it's it's interesting to hear you yeah. say that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear other people are thinking about it because I think about this stuff way too much. <laughs> way, way <laughs> <Yeah>. too much. <laughs> uh, last strap question. Wh whose idea was the Ferris Bueller montage from uh, the most recent episode? <laughs> I, God, I think, well, so Randy's been likened to Cameron before when he wears yeah. his like Detroit Red Wings shirt in, in <laughs> right. tour sauce. Um, I, God, I want to say it was my idea, but I, it might be DJs. I think we got to the art studio and we had kind of all were just, we started laughing about Ferris Bueller and then I, I was like, no, this is perfect. Like we got to do the deer head, you know? And so it just worked out exactly <laughs> as planned. Um, dude, I was, dude, I was howling. I was laughing so hard cause I love that movie so much. And, uh, it, did you put the Red Wings jersey on Big Randall? Well, he no, he has one. He didn't bring it though, so we were kind of bummed because we were like, ah. God, if he had his Red Wings jersey, that would have completed everything. But we didn't think about it until I think we were on the way to the course, and he said, like Randy was like, "It's there's an art gallery there." And I was like, "Oh, we should definitely go in there." And then uh, you know, Ferris Bueller kind of came out of that, I think. Um, and then we did it, and we were like, we always kind of <laughs> say to ourselves like. I always say to DJ, like, God, no one's going to, is anyone going to get this? Or like the, the McConaughey stuff. I was like, I don't think anyone's going to get this, man. Like, and he, you know, DJ had a line. He's like, well, well, guess what? This is like a self-funded art project. So if they don't, like, we'll give them their money back. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like we'll, we'll, you can send us an email and we'll send you a refund in the mail. Like, it's kind of like, at, at some points, like, we just want to, I think my guiding light sometimes for Strap especially, and I, I feel like DJ thinks the same way, and Randy definitely is like, if I'm laughing about it, like if it's making me chuckle, then like, and, and those guys, like then I, I'm usually like, that's kind of what I want to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's when you start trying to make stuff that you think people want, or like, a, I think where a ton of content companies get into trouble is when they just start trying to make stuff that like for a bigger audience, that's when you start running into trouble because you just start watering stuff down. Right. And doing stuff that you don't really care about. And then people kind of see right through that they see right through it dude it's yeah it's um wow that's that's cool you said that i mean I, what i like about the ferris bueller montage in the art museum is that it was also like i could tell it was gonna it was cracking you guys up but i it was also so unexpected you know like when the music kicks in and i'm just like wait did i change the channel or what am i like oh no it's the same yeah <laughs> they're, they're going full ferris bueller on this, this yeah is and we well it, but at the same time like we wanted to make sure like the art studio was great and the guy um i think his name was jason like the the director of the art studio was like really knowledgeable you know and and those they were great too because like they were like you know like who are you guys and we're like yeah it doesn't matter like can we can we you know can we can we interview you he's like sure <laughs> you know, so he like threw on his, he's like, I got a blazer in the back. Let me throw it on. We're like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and he, he, uh, and then he, you know, they gave us recommendations on where to eat. You know, it was, it was just like really nice. And they're like, all right, well, do you mind if we like film a few things? And then like they're standing there watching, like, 
so like the one thing from that scene that's makes me laugh every time I think about this. Randy's so tall that he had to get down on his knees with the with the deer because DJ's tripod he couldn't get the close up. So <laughs> Randy's on his knees for like a minute trying to keep a straight face, you know, while DJ keeps like moving the camera closer to him. <laughs> and uh, and so then you got these like, you know, the art studio people are just watching us and we're like, I was like, God, we're idiots. You know, but it's like it's great. Like it's there's nothing I'd rather be doing on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, well, it's uh, a great creative choice, I think. Um, and and for those that have no idea what we're talking about, can't recommend it enough. Go check out Strapped uh, by by No Line Up. It's well, I appreciate it's a the plug. Thank you. That's yeah, great. man. Of course. Um, all right. So I, I want to make one other plug, and and I know we don't have you all all day. So the uh, on the most recent Trapped Draw podcast, another uh, NLU property. I you guys highlighted some kind of monster. And yes. I understand you have uh, some background. You were a musician, is that correct? I grew up playing the drums, yes, and I still do. I got an electric set in my room, so it's a little bit of a, I don't know, an escape. Because I, I, one thing I can't do when I play the drums is sing or really do anything else. I'm, I'm pretty singularly tasked to begin with. Like if I'm on the computer and my girlfriend's talking to me, like I can't, I can't hear, you know, I can't <laughs> listen. So like that's... Uh, that's for me the drums make me do nothing else but just sit there and like play a beat and not think about anything so sometimes i'll come home and play it like i used to play it after work and stuff yeah it's i'm sure therapeutic the um so that 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 podcast was great i had to turn it off because i had not seen some kind of monster it took me probably three weeks to finally dive in and i was so happy that you guys uh recommended this and i just wanted to recommend it again to all our listeners that it's some kind of monster by Metallica is one of the best documentaries uh, I've ever seen, and and we don't have to go into it. if you if you want to hear you know Neil's take on on this documentary, go listen to the Trap Draw podcast. Um, what I want to know is if NLU resembled a band, uh, maybe a mid '90s band, maybe a 2000s band. Actually, I'll let you go wherever you want with this. Uh, what band do you think you guys would most uh, most resemble? <laughs> well, I think the Metallica. The Metallica um, analogy has been has been used now that we've put that out, and I think it's a good one. Like we've laughed about it a good good amount, but uh, so so Solly's Hetfield for sure, uh, Tron's Lars for sure, <laughs> and then DJ's super producer Bob Rock, uh, Randy's oh, yeah. Kurt Hammock, Hammett, um, and then you know like I'm kind of like I kind of look like Jason Newstead when I have a goatee, but I feel like I've brought new energy to the crew, so I'm more of like a uh, uh robert trujillo you know just like yeah like ripping the bass but uh before we watched metallica we actually had we had a take that um dj and i used to laugh about this was back like two years ago where solly we were like the he was like you guys are like the this is before dj was like really working with us full time he's like you guys are kind of like the beatles like like tron is lennon john lennon and solly is mccartney you know because like like because sometimes like they'll butt heads right like we all you know we're like a we're all like brothers and mm. like they're both good at different things like because dj knows a ton about the beatles i don't but he the way he was explaining it was like you know lennon just wants to like he always wanted to like take the inside joke farther and farther and farther it's like really apparently he's like really sarcastic and like you know like kind of uh, a lot of undertones and like with tron like a good example with him is like the backstopping stuff you know what i mean like he just 
he's not really serious about it, but he is serious about it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this like faux outrage that like, it's the best, you know? Yeah. And, oh yeah. But like only certain people, like it's, it's kind of an acquired taste. And, and like Solly is like so good at like the analysis, like, like more professional, like analysis of the game. Also like, like stuff that's going to go viral, kind of like the McCartney love songs. Right. And then Randy's kind of like Ringo. He's kind of like the older guy, you know, kind of just like, yo guys, I'm just, you know, he's very vibey, like keeping time in the back, like kind of holding it all together. Yeah. Who doesn't kinda, like Ringo? You know, yeah. no one ever really had an issue with Ringo. And then. DJ was like, he's George Martin, I guess. The, he was like the, the band manager or something who I don't know much about. Because he's just like, all right, all right, that's great, guys. But like, we need to, we need to make an album. Like, we need, to, we need to film this. You know what I mean? Like, DJ like heard the cats. And then he was like, you're like George Harrison. Like, you just want to wear elephant shirts and like go to India and, and, you know, like do whatever. And you're like the younger guy. And so that was, that was like the old school band analogy. So I don't know. I think maybe it, it, it hasn't aged as well, but. Um, I always got a good chuckle out of that one. Yeah, that's 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 good. It's bold too. Com- you know, any comparisons well, to the Beatles make me I, a little nervous. <laughs> so here's the thing: like, I don't want the people to think like we're the Beatles of golf. That's not what I'm saying. The, but the analogy is like, you got to look at like the way the personalities interact. Yeah. Um, as like a larger group, um, and this was like, I don't know, this was like two years ago when we were, when we were laughing about that uh, that one. Well, I, I put off watching some kind of monster because I'm a fan of your guys, but not of heavy metal or Metallica. And uh, I was and so n- neither am I. Like okay. I've never been a big Metallica guy. And I actually watched the documentary the first time. Like this was like six months ago or four months ago, because you know DJs, you gotta watch this. And he was like, and uh, and I think I guess yeah, it was DJ. And so I watched it like, and, and at first I was like, what is this? Like, because I don't. The thing about the documentary that people need to know is like. There is an assumed context. Like these guys were like the biggest band in the world at the time. This is like 2000, 2001. And they're going, like their bassist just quit. They hired a shrink. And then they let these guys film all of this. They're like imploding in real time. And you're like, God, do these guys understand how bad this makes them look? And then you, like, then I've watched it again. And now I probably think about that documentary more than any other film other than maybe like Free Solo that I've seen in the past like year. Because if you understand the context of when it was filmed and what, what's going on, it just becomes fascinating. And then I give him a lot of credit for like even producing it and, and, and releasing it um, like as a band. Like, it, you know, it, it, I guess it just goes back to the point like we were talking about with like, I think they did a follow up to it. And it's like, yeah, we felt like we were actually being real. Like when I was watching the footage, like Headfield says that, like, I actually feel like I'm I'm saying what I think for the first time in a while. And so like it's very earnest and I think people like are attracted to content or whatever when they can tell people are being either earnest or sincere or they're passionate about it or like, you know, it, it's like authentic, I guess is the word. Um, and so if you watch it with like that in mind, um, like it is fascinating. And then like, but like some of the stuff, it's just like, God, like, like the stuff of Kurt Hammett surfing and like, like there's just so many little things that I watched it again and, and they, that I didn't pick up the first time like Lars selling his artwork and like understanding that he was like public enemy number one because of the Napster stuff. Like I didn't really know much about that. So then it sent me on like a giant Wikipedia wormhole about like Metallica. And then I start watching concerts of like them live in Moscow. And I'm like, holy shit, like look at this. Yeah. This is like a million 
people in Eastern Europe just going absolutely nuts for Inter Sandman. You know, like that's like crazy. I didn't even, I, I just never even seen anything like that. So it kind of opened up a, um, you know, a bunch of stuff for me. Well, promises this when, when you guys hire the, the, the therapist for the Kill House and uh, can you keep the cameras rolling? You know, give us another documentary, kind of some kind of NLU monster, if uh, you will. Potentially. We were trying to think about with the analogy with those guys, like who's Phil Tolls, the, the, the therapist. We haven't come up with anybody. <laughs> you yet. haven't I met him yet. I, I think, I, yeah, I think we're still, we're still searching. You're still searching for your Phil. But he was, a, he was something. He was my highlight of that documentary. Um, so and, anyways, we got recommendations for our, our guys. We got check out Strap, check out some kind of monster. Uh, one last question for you before we let you go. We actually have a, uh, we call it our spring meeting. It's new clubs, uh, season kind of kickoff event. It's down at Sweetens in a couple of weeks. Any tips for, for our crew coming down there? Like best, maybe not, you know, taking home a title like you so, so well did, but just ways to enjoy the place. Anything that you, you kind of tell people that haven't experienced it yet or has, haven't been to Sweetens? Yeah. So did you got, you guys rented the place out? Sure. Yep. Okay. Perfect. So I was thinking about it actually yesterday. Um, and cause the weekend stuck with me a ton and like all the content makes it look like it was a bro fest, which, you know, obviously parts of it are, but, um, at least the ringer was what I'm saying. But like one, like, so it's nine holes, right? I think Zach did such a good job of mixing up where he was putting the tees. So we played, you can play the course. Like I, I think I played 14, nine hole rounds in, in two in three days and didn't play the same shot that often. Right. But you come up to these holes and like the beauty of the place is it's like nine really, really awesome green plot complexes that you can play from all these tee boxes, but also cross country. So if people have a chance to play like as the sun's going down, like go out and play like uh, next to four green over to six green, like over the lake or like from, you know, one green all the way down to nine green. You can play like a giant par five. So you can kind of create your own course, which is a ton of fun if you want to like gamble a little bit and you know do like a two two or three club challenge we did that one night um i kind of look at the place like i was saying like it was a playground but i think the better analogy for it it's like a skate park like I, I i didn't do a ton of skateboarding growing up i was actually um one of those lame aggressive inline guys for like you know when i was like 12 uh but i used to go to this place you know i used to go to skate indoor skate park and it was like you know they had the bowl they had the, the foam pit they had the half pipe and they had like the street park and it's basically just like this big room and it's all freestyle. Like everyone's just, you know, kind of skating around, trying to like hit this one ramp, trying to pull this one trick. And that's kind of how I felt about like Sweetens as like a skate park for golf. Like you can, you know, you can play this Redan this way or you can flip it and come at it from a different angle. Um, so it's like, it, it's just, it, it's kind of, uh, people are like, why is Sweetens so good? I think it's just because you can kind of make it up as you go, but you can also play it um, as it's, you know, like as it's laid out, I guess, like where the tees are. Um, so it's just like, it's like kind of a freestyle golf course, which is, is like what we were talking about earlier. Like, it's like this like self-contained place. that's not that big. Um, and you can just do a ton of fun stuff in there. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that analogy skate park. Uh, and, and I was right with you in the inline days. Don't worry. Many of us yeah. were. Yeah. We're, cause like, cause it, it also like, you know, we're playing a lot of match play stuff. Like, and we played school, we played Stableford, you know, we played, I played like one round of stroke play, I think, you know, so a lot of people, they love to, you know, track their score and stuff. And, you know, there are probably two rounds where I like, I'll log into my handicap. Right. But it's just so nice to go play golf and hit, 
every club in the bag and not, but not, you know, most of the time you go out to a course, you play a lot or like you go on a golf trip and you play the same way every time, you know, it's just like, there's no creativity to it. And here, because of the way Zach set up the tees and stuff, and just because of the way the course works, um, you're just like, you're not really worried about your score. You're just trying to pull off awesome golf shots, which is like the best part about golf. So you, then, then I don't get as mad about my score because my, you know, the expectation isn't like, oh, I got to go out and like play really well. It's like, no, I just got to go out and like hit the ball really well. And, and that's the best part. Yeah. Well, that's, you got me psyched, man. I'm, I'm excited to get down there. That's going to be my, my first voyage. And, uh, I know it's the same for many of our society members. So, uh, we're, we're pumped and I'm excited to, uh, to someday experience the, the Rob Collins design at Flushing Meadows, uh, owned by Neil Schuster. One, one day, I mean, we may have to take that out of the podcast, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can. We can totally edit it. No, no worries. But yeah. man, we know you got a lot going on this week. Thanks for, for making time. Uh, best of luck this year with everything you got going on. And, and when you guys are in town, seriously, when you're in Chicago, uh, if you guys need anything or want to get together, we'd love to show you some of our favorite haunts up here uh, in places like you're talking that, that I think you guys would really enjoy. Yeah, likewise, Matt. I, I, if you're in New York, let me know. Uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to hop on the pod. Right on. Well, thanks, Neil. All right, man. See ya. That was Neil Schuster, 2019 Hickory Champion of the Ringer and co-founder of No Laying Up. Thanks, Neil, for sharing with us some of your favorite aspects of the game. Looking forward to seeing what's next for you and the whole crew at No Laying Up.